nestled into an obscure passage in 1 Chronicles about the men who supported David early on in his uh, rule as king. And rule might be a, a shaky or a tenuous, uh, a very generous term to use, I guess you might say, because for the first seven years of King David's rule, he really didn't rule all the people. He had one tribe that supported him completely, but the other tribes of Israel were divided, and some were following uh, this one or that one or the other one. And, and, and so there was this breakdown. There was this list in First Chronicles of telling some of the people that when others were against him, these folks were trustworthy. These folks uh, could be counted on by David uh, to be with him, and, and it starts listing different tribes, and it lists their, their, uh, their number of weapons, or their number of soldiers, or their training in battle, you know, all this militaristic type of stuff, and they're all, each tribe, it's, it's, it's different, but it's all kind of similar, except for one tribe, and that is the tribe of Issachar, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, and I want to invite you to stand right now. As we read 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would learn from this tribe of Issachar. Some practical lessons about how we can live our life and make a difference in this world so that our faith is not merely something that is internal, but it is something that flows in and through and out of us so that we might impact the world around us in a wise and godly and powerful way. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Such an unusual thing that the Bible says about the men of Issachar. It tells us that these men knew the times and they knew what to do. Now, all throughout the Bible, you'll hear things, you'll hear words talking about the times, knowing the times, seeing the times, knowing the signs of the times. And often we take those words and, and we, just, um, we, we, we just say, oh, that's something that's like knowing about the end time. You know, oh, that, that means you got to know about the, 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 the end of the world and stuff like that. But really, in reality, when the Bible's talking about times and knowing the times, most of the time, it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with understanding how we are to live in our world today as it is. So how do these men of Issachar, everybody else, we hear about their, their carts or their swords or their spears or their axes, but these men... We hear they're the, they're the brains behind the operation. They're the strategic thinkers. They're the ones that are able to say, here's what's going on, and here's how we go about it. And David could lean on them because he knew not only were they smart, you know, kind of book smart, but they had a sense for what was going on in the world around them, and, and they knew how to put it into practice. Who are these Issachar people? Well, Issachar was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that is, there was a son named Issachar, and his descendants became his tribes. Now, recently, we went through a series on Joseph where we talked about all the different 
um, the, his brothers and all those tribes. But I told you I didn't, didn't want to preach 22 weeks on Joseph. I only wanted to do like eight. And so we kind of skipped over some things. And one of the things we skipped over was a whole chapter where um, Israel, or Jacob, his other name, he sets down each of these 12 sons, and he tells them, you know, here is my word for you. I would say his blessing, but <laughs> some of them don't exactly sound like a blessing, okay? But he, he says, here is my word for each of you. And, and so he, he uh, comes to Issachar in Genesis chapter 49, and uh, when it's Issachar's turn, he has a very interesting uh, thing to say about Issachar. It's not what, I don't think anyone, when we get to this and, and, and read it, well, look at there, it's already up there. Okay, Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among sheep pens. When he sees how good his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Now, I want you to be honest. Those of you who you who've tried before to kind of elicit a compliment, you know, you've kind of nudged, you've kind of put things out there. Have you ever hoped that someone say, you are a raw bone donkey? You know, has anyone ever wanted that? No, that's not something that we really want to hear. In fact, just imagine the King James translation of that. You can figure that out if you've ever read the King James. And it's just, it's just not a real lovely kind of uh, a statement. You're a raw bone donkey, it's a car. And it doesn't sound too good right off the bat. It talks about him being this raw bone donkey, and he's kind of lying down, really not where the donkey should be. He's by the sheep. But then it says he, he starts to look, and he starts to think, and he realizes that his place, his land, the situation that he's been put in can somehow be amazing. And so it says that he submits himself to labor. In other words, it's a car, you're a donkey, but you're a donkey with sense. You're a donkey, you are a wild child, it's a car. And maybe some of you know people like this, that in their younger days they were wild, and you thought, man, they're going to end up in jail, and maybe they do. But later on in life, they start to actually think a little bit. They start to actually process, you know, I'm wild, and I'm crazy, and I've lived like there's no tomorrow, but you know, I should have more sense than that. And they start thinking, and they start planning, and they start, they start putting themselves to the grindstone, and they start working because they realize there's more in life. And so Issachar must have been a guy like that that started off, he kind of blew a few years, okay? He did some wild living. He did some crazy stuff. But at some point, he realized it's time to get serious, and he got to that point about being serious, about living his life in a non-destructive way, but in a productive way. He got serious when he started opening his eyes and looking around and seeing all that he had been given. And when he realized, man, I've been given so much. Now, literally, for Issachar and that tribe, it was the allotment of land that they were given among the 12 tribes. But for you and I today, that could be anything that you've been given, your relationships, your heritage, the job opportunities, your skills, your abilities, your experiences, whatever. But we wake up and we say, you know what, I've been given too much just to waste it. And so this is the kind of the first thing we get about Issachar, this tribe, is into their blessing, into their future about them, it basically says, hey, guess what, it's a car. You're going to stumble around in the dark for a little while. You're going to be a wild ox. You're going to be a crazy man. 
But one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have sense and you're going to start thinking. And you're going to realize that life isn't just about doing stupid, just off-the-cuff, random, dangerous things. But that if you discipline yourself, if you submit yourself to working hard, being disciplined with what you've been given, amazing stuff can come. The next picture that I want us to look at is going over a few books, and that is into Judges. And in the book of Judges, you know, that's that time period when um, Moses has gone off the scene. You know, Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt to the promised land. He got right to the edge. He, he passed on. Joshua took over, and, and then Joshua led them into the promised land. But Joshua couldn't live forever. And so once Joshua uh, goes off the scene, the Lord raises up a group of judges uh, who take care of the nation, who watch over the nation. And so um, there's a whole series of them. And there's this real pattern that comes up. The Bible says that a generation grew up that did not know the Lord. You see, there had been this generation of, of Moses, and then there was 70 elders who helped Moses rule and then later helped Joshua rule. And, and, and they did great things, but they all passed off the scene, and Joshua passed off the scene. And what was once a vibrant faith was now, yeah, that's something Grandpa used to believe or something. And, you know, they just kind of didn't know Jesus personally. It's something they did to make their family happy, but they really weren't into it. And they start getting away from God, and God says, you know what? I promise you that if you would stick with me, that I was going to bless you and protect you, but I also made you a promise that if you did not stick with me, I was going to take my hand of protection off. And because I love you, but yet I don't lie to you. I tell you the truth. And I said I was going to take my hand of protection off, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And God would allow other people to come in and take over. And the people would finally remember, oh, we have a God. And, and he's real powerful and stuff, and maybe we should call on him and remember him. And they, they raise their hands up to heaven. They cry out, God, help us. God says, okay, you're, you're listening to me now, huh? You, you realize you need me now. All right, I'll send you a leader. And so he would do that. And you, we remember many of the different leaders. We remember Gideon, and we remember Samson. Well, one of the greats, one of what we call uh, the major judges, because there's other ones we call minor judges, not because they were bad people. It's just that the Bible just didn't tell us a lot about them, so we call them minor judges. But one of the major judges was a woman by the name of Deborah. And uh, we get her story in Judges uh, 4 and 5, and God raises her up to be a judge, and, and, um, and you know, one of the things that she does, she has an interesting thing. She has a place where she puts down judgment. By the way, the judges are not only military leaders, but they are, um, they're really um, civil leaders. They, I mean, they do serve as judges. People come to them for advice or to, to decide disputes or legal problems. And so people come to her, and she's been judging over Israel at this time. And, and again, they come up with a, a difficult military situation. And, and uh, God enlists this, uh, this guy named Barak to come and to be a, a general. And they, they go into battle. She assures him, hey, there's going to be victory here. And he's like, I won't go if you don't go, though. He's kind of a fraidy cat. And, and, and 
She says, okay, I'm going into battle, but guess what? If I go into the battle, uh, it won't be you, but it'll be a woman who gets the glory. Now, he probably thought at that point that she, that she meant herself, that she was going to get the glory. It was actually another woman uh, who ended up winning the battle, but we won't go into all that. But I want to bring up in the next chapter, in chapter 5, she kind of has this little victory song. And uh, you'll notice in the Old Testament, people like, you know, they get inspired. And, and when major victories and major events happen, oftentimes they'll just have these songs where they celebrate what happened. And so Deborah here has a song. And she talks about in the first few chapters, verses of chapter 5, about how God just did amazing things. And he took, overtook these people who were trying to bother them. But then uh, it's interesting, after a while, she starts kind of naming some names. And some of it, it's in a good way. Some of it's, hey, you were by my side. You folks down in this tribe, you were with me. You were right there following. But then she names some other names, and it's not so good. She says, hey, were, um, were you having a problem down at your place? Because I didn't see you on the battlefield. Where were you? And, I mean, she just starts calling some people out. So she's making sure people know who did what they ought to do and who didn't. And she specifically calls out in Judges chapter 5, verse 15, the tribe of Issachar. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. Now, we'll stop right there. Later on, she starts going into something about there was some searching somewhere else, like in another tribe. Where was everybody? But she specifically calls out this tribe and says, you know what, you guys were with me 100% of the way. Why was Issachar with Deborah in this endeavor? I mean, there could have, they could have been like other people and said, oh, we got something else going on, or sorry, we've got a lot of rain. We can't get our horses out through this mud. Or, you know, they could have made up all kinds of excuses. They also could have said, well, you know, I don't know about this. I mean, the previous judges that, <clears throat> that God raised up, they were menfolk. And, and we have a picture of a judge as a, as a mighty man. And, and here's Deborah. She's the judge. They could have back in that day very well said, you know what, I don't know about following her. But they didn't. Because these men of Issachar had something about them. Going back to what we said, they understood the times and they knew what to do about them. If we go back to our original scripture... I'm going to read this one more time and then kind of, kind of wrap this up and think about who these men of Issachar are and how we can be like them. Back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. From Issachar, <clears throat> men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They had 200 chiefs along with their relatives under their command. What was so special about the men of Issachar. These men understood both their culture and their calling. These men understood the word on the street and the word of God. 
These men were not men who said, oh, we're just going to be worldly and do what everybody else does. And they aren't, weren't, on the other hand, people who said, oh, all we ever read or hear about is the Bible. We don't listen to anything else. And we're just going to go up on a mountain and, and just sit like a monk. No, they were men. They were women. They were people who understood that to faithfully follow God, one must understand both his word, God's word and the world that we live in. Because with, we have God's word and it gives us commands, but if we don't understand the world we're living in, we don't understand how to apply those commands. If we don't put some thought into how we actually live this out, this just becomes something theoretical. This just becomes another piece of great literature if it's just something we value and appreciate, but we don't put it into practice. The men of Issachar were men who said, you know what? We could live by our impulse. The world tells us all the time, lose control, be free, do whatever you want. And that's exactly how they started off, as a raw-boned donkey who couldn't be controlled, who couldn't be bridled, who couldn't be tamed. They just lived buck wild and did whatever. But somewhere along the way, the descendants of Issachar said, there is something better than this life. And it's not retreating from the rest of the world and pretending what's going on in the world doesn't exist. It's understanding this world we live in and yet living it based upon the commands God gives us. We're going to take his word and we're going to apply it and we're going to use it. And those men, above all the others who had swords and axes and carts and horses and oxen, they were the ones that David could look to. I want your advice because I see how you are. And it's not just a few of you. The Bible says not only these 200 chiefs, Earlier on in Judges, they were called princes, these leaders, but, but the whole fan, they're all their families. It was something that they ingrained in their kids and in their grandkids. We are God's people, and we're going to live his word, but not in a, we're not going to pretend like we're 500 years ago. We're not going to pretend like we were 50 years ago and do everything the way people did back then. We're taking God's word, and we're putting it to action right now. Folks, this is so important for us to do that we realize as much as we can look back and we can read what some people did in the New Testament. People say, oh, I want to be a New Testament church. Sorry, you don't live 2,000 years ago. You are not Corinth or Philippi. You're Bersheba. We don't live in that world anymore. Does this have much to say to us? Is this our authority? Absolutely. God's word is what we live upon. But we have to understand we don't live 2,000 years ago. We live today. We have to understand God's word, but how we're going to live it out. Oftentimes, as Christians, we get stuck in the past. We get certain things in our minds and we say, oh, this is the way that we should do it. And oftentimes, it's not something God's word said you should do this. It's a tradition. It's something that started 500 or 50 or 100 years ago, and we've done it, and we've done it, and we've done it. And then we think that's, we, we got to always do it that way. And we get stuck in a rut. We get stuck in a rut. And in that rut, there we go from then on. 
And God calls us to know his word, but to understand this is what's going on right now in my community that I live in. This is what's going on in my state. This is what's going on in my workplace. This is what's going on in my church. This is what's going on in my neighborhood. We are aware of our surroundings, and we put that knowledge of what's going on in the world around us, and we should be aware because if we love people, we want to have our eyes open and see what's going on with them. And as we're aware, then we take that knowledge and then we put it into practice now that we're aware of the needs around us. What does God's word have to say about how we can go out and live that out? One of the things I am uh, just, I feel most blessed about here, and there's a lot of them. Uh, this congregation is, is so loving. I mean, that's just an earmark uh, of Bershaba folks is one of the, the most loving bunch of people I've ever been around. But another thing that I just feel very blessed is in the leadership that we have. And by that, I'm, I'm specifically referring that we've got leaders of all kinds of committees and ministries and such, but I want to specifically hone in on, on our elders, our session that is made up of the elders that we elect. I was thinking through this message and thinking about how many times have our elders over the years looked not only at God's word, but they've said, what's going on around us? And, and, and how do we do something about that? How do we put that into practice? And that comes out so many ways. It comes out in budgeting. When every year we look at, okay, here's how much money we brought in. Here's how much money we think we'll bring in. What ministries do we need to support? And there's this process of listening to staff members and committee members and to the church and think about what is, what is it that we're living in that we need to really prioritize with our money? It comes with buildings. You know, every single building that is in this place, somebody had to say, you know what? We're doing good here. We got a good thing going, but we need a little something extra. There was an insurance guy from the state, from the, uh, the state of Mississippi, some state office, and and he had, he had come by, and he was inspecting. He had to see our buildings. This has been several months ago. And it was something with the state office. And he hadn't been since about the early 1980s. No one from his office had been to our church. And they wanted, he had this little drawing of what our church facilities were supposed to look like. I mean, this, this tiny little almost U-shaped thing. I mean, the fellowship hall barely went anywhere. This wasn't as big. All the other stuff out there wasn't there. And I said, man, you are behind the times, friend. He was looking like, yes, I am. <laughs> he couldn't believe how much this church had grown in size over the years. I still think often that there's people that drive by and think we're the same because they've never gone back and seen all the things that, that have grown. And, and each and every time, whether it be the, the children's wing, uh, the Galloway wing, the, the things that we did, the revitalization of, of, of the youth building, every time we had a godly group of men and women in leadership who said, you know what? We're not, we're not psychics. We can't see the future, but we can see what's going on right now. And if we're supposed to reach these people, if we want to reach these teenagers, if we want to reach these adults, if we want to reach our community, then we're going to have to do something about it. 
And the same type of process has gone into uh, with, with our worship service. You know, the, the praise team that we enjoy now. The technology that most of us don't even think about. I'm going to tell you, there's a whole bunch of wires going all back and forth. And then there's a bunch of wireless stuff. And then there's a bunch of knobs back in the back and computers and screens and just stuff beyond my understanding. But that over time, people have said, you know what, we need to go to the next level. And we just kind of take it for granted, you know. And then we turn around like someone's done something really bad when something stops. But, um, you know, there were some folks that said, hey, we're living in a more modern world with capabilities. We can do some things. We still sing the great hymns of the faith and we value them. But there's also some newer music and there's some newer ways of doing things. And we can incorporate that as well. We look at it uh, in terms of our facilities. So many things. You, you guys, most of you don't even know what all the maintenance committee does. And I could go on and on about different groups and all the things they do to to open their eyes and to look and to see, here's something. We know what God word, God's word's called us to do is to fulfill the Great Commission. And we know what's going on right now in our community or in our facilities or in our people. And so we're going to do something about it. One of the other ways that we, we look at it as leaders at all sorts of different angles. But one of the angles we did several years ago was to look at that in terms of the ages of our church. And the age ranges and the ministries and how we're doing. And I want to tell you, first of all, I'm blessed every Sunday that I look out and I see some of you who have full heads of hair. And uh, it has not started receding yet. It has not started graying yet. And I'm happy to see you. And then I see some of you kind of like me. You're, you're in process, right? And then some of you have received the full wisdom. I mean, the, you know, you're, you're there with the golden hair or with no hair, whatever. I mean, but you're, you're just there. And, and I look at our congregation, and do you know that a majority of congregations in our country don't look like this? I talk all the time uh, to ministers who've, They've not only lost the children in the church, but the, the youth, the young adults, the middle-aged adults. I talked to a man the other day who's ten, about 10 years older than me, and he is the youngest person in his church, okay? He said, I love my church. They're great people. But every single one of them, they've lost the younger generation. And we want to be a church that absolutely loves our senior adults, loves those people with wisdom, loves those who have served the Lord faithfully all of their life. But we, want, we don't want to lose and forget other generations as well. So about four or five years ago, we started looking at where we were as a church and, and what we needed. Were there, some, were there some gaps? And immediately one gap stood out. And that was... Um, a gap of somewhere between the young adult class and what we call the mom and pop class. Okay, between those two classes, we had some, some strong groups in both of those areas, but in the middle, and it kind of roughly coincided with, with the ages of who would be many of the parents of the youth at the time, we, were just, we just had a big wide open hole there where there were folks that either weren't going to Sunday school at all or they were stretching the limits of that young adult class, you know, just really stretching that on out. And, and, and we said, you know what, we need to do something here. 
And it wasn't easy because those who were in other classes kind of had to leave and, and, and their fun class that they were in. And, and others who weren't going to Sunday school at all, we had to work and pray and invite and call. But, you know, God blessed that. And we've had that what we call the seeker Sunday school class now. And it's a group of between 10 and 15 folks, and we could call ourselves the oddballs or the misfits or whatever sometimes, I think. But we all get along in there. And, 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 and you know, God has just blessed that group. And, and it was one of those things where we said, hey, God's doing something here. We know he wants us to reach everybody, but there's a hole, so we need to do something about it. And, and our church took action to do something, and so now there is a great group between those other groups. But there was something else, what seemed to not be as pressing of a need at the time, was that we noticed on the very end between our youth and our young adult class, there seemed to be a small gap. There seemed to be a place where when people graduated high school, if the ones, and I'm talking about the ones who made it through, all the way through, they were church, they were here for the, the, the graduate service, their senior year, they made it all the way through. Somehow, we were getting to a place where it, they weren't immediately moving up to that next group. And we said, well, we have a great young adult group. And so we're going to keep our eye on this. We're, we're doing this other thing right now because we know it's a glaring hole. And, and maybe we'll be able to, to make this work, and they'll soon move on up into the young adult class. But we've kept an eye on that kind of from afar at times. But uh, in recent times, as we've come back, in recent months, our session has looked at where are our people? Where is there a hole? Where is there something that we could do more than that we're doing right now? We've realized that great, awesome young adult class we have is still a great and awesome young adult class. But they are also starting to stretch some limits, some of them. Uh, let me just put it this way. We're at a point where there's a few people who, if they were to move into the young adult class, they'd be in there with their mama, okay? That's not a good thing when we're trying to reach people who are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. They don't want to be there with their mama who's 38 or whatever. And so we've realized that while we had that great group and they still are doing an awesome job as they are reaching out and, and we still have young, uh, young couples who come with children. And, and, and in fact, here's a way that we're really like, um, we're really kind of just like the, the average statistical church. I've been doing a lot of research into churches reaching young adults and one of the things is, is that even those kids, not the ones who drop out in junior high or the ones who drop out in 10th grade when they get the keys to the car, even the kids nationwide, the kids who make it all the way through their senior year, less than half of them stick in church. For a long, 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 long time, less than half of them are there. Now, there is some good news. The good news is that many of them will come back about half of them eventually will come back and once again return to that faith and that church that they grew up in and things will get good again. But I want you to think about that, even though that is good news. I want you to think about the consequences. If someone leaves a church when they graduate and they don't come back until they've got their career going, 
and they've got married, and they got a couple of kids on the way. A couple of kids have come along, and now the kid, well, we'll wait till they're, till they're old enough to, to sit in church decently or whatever. And what, that, what has happened is, and that's when most folks come back, it's when the little one, they start thinking, I need to raise this young and right. And they start bringing them back to church. But what's happened in the life of that young adult is that the time period in which they will make the greatest decisions that affect their life, who they will marry, what career they will go into, where they're going to live, all of these decisions that other than knowing Jesus himself, these are all some of the the decisions that come after that, some of the most important decisions, these decisions are made by young adults who are not connected to the love and guidance of a church. I'm not saying they're not Christians anymore. I'm not saying they don't know Jesus anymore. But we all know that if we're walking with God and his people and we're getting good advice and good counsel, we're going to make different decisions than if we're away from those things. And so I realized, yes, when I look at what's going on in the numbers of our church, and by the way, yes, do we have some people between 18 and 30 who come to our church? Yes. They hadn't all quit on us, okay? We've got, we've got quite a number. We've got several who come quite regularly. But when I look at how impactful those years are, I realize we can do more. And our session has realized we can do more. We must do more. And so the idea is that we begin a ministry for our young adults, with our young adults. Do we have all this figured out yet? Nope, we don't have it all figured out yet. I, we do plan that there will be a group, a Sunday school, Sunday morning Bible study, for these younger adults. And we don't even have another name for it yet, but I'm just going to say younger adults right now. We've had over the years a college and career class or things like that, and those might go good for a year or two, and then things have changed and whatever. But this is more than us, than us just adding a Sunday school class the way we did with the Seekers group. This is adding another ministry to our church to say we understand that it is so vital that we are reaching this age group that we're going to devote a whole ministry. And I'm working to put together a ministry team, okay? Now, here's what we're going to talk about, that little insert in your bulletin. I told you there was a couple of them. We'd look at them later. One of them's about children's uh, church. If you'd like to help out with children's church, that's awesome, okay? And we're going to have a smaller group. Uh, in the children's church this year because a lot of our kids are moving up. And so we need to invite folks who don't necessarily have kids in that age group anymore, but who just want to be a part of the ministry to our young couples so we can still keep reaching them. We need to have some folks who aren't on the list right now for children's church who will say, hey, I'll do this every six weeks or every eight weeks or ten weeks or whatever. That's what this one is about, Okay. But here, the other one says young adult ministry. And there's some options here. And we're looking for folks to help out in lots of different ways. There's one to check 
if you want to host things at your house, we're going to have some get-togethers at times. And some of them will maybe might be a canoe trip or this or that or the other or a treat. But some of them might be just hanging out at somebody's house, um, playing games or whatever. If you say, I could do that, I could host folks over, some, some uh, young adults over, check that. Planning leadership team. By the way, everything on here... This isn't just like children's ministry where we're saying, okay, uh, children, one day you'll grow up and have a hand in this. I mean, this is for the very folks that we're targeting. If you're in that 18 to 30 age group, this is for you absolutely, but this is for other adults who want to help with that group. So we need folks who say, I'll help plan and lead and carry out events. Uh, We want to have a rotation of folks who help teach on Sunday mornings. I don't know about the Wednesday night thing yet. We're just going to see how the sign-up goes. But if you say, hey, Sunday morning's not my thing, but I'd be glad to help teach some stuff on Wednesday nights, sign up for that. Prayer partners, if you say, hey, I know one thing I can do is I can pray. Give me a name or two of some of the young men and some young, young women in this area, and I want to be a part. I want to pray for them. I commit to that on a, on a regular basis. And then some of you may have some ideas as you've heard about this. You've thought some things that I haven't even mentioned and I hadn't even thought about. And you just put other and tell me what you got because it's probably a great idea. One, and one other thing I didn't put on here, if you want to say, hey, there's somebody who uh, fits in that kind of group, that general age range, and I think they'd be great uh, in this ministry, I'd love for you to contact them and invite them. Write their name on there, and I'd appreciate that. Now, that at the bottom for name, that's your name, though, okay? So I can get back with you and find out who you are. Guys, this is, this is really um, <clears throat> vital and important. God's called us to reach people. Um, I know I'm going long on this, okay? But I feel this is very important. God's called us to reach those who are easy to reach and then to reach those who are hard to reach. He never gives us an out and says, well, if they're difficult to reach, it's okay. Because I want to stand here and say, this is not an easy ministry. If doing ministry with folks in this age group was easy, then every church would have a massive college ministry and young adult ministry. It's not easy. But it's something that God is calling us to. And I want you to think not only about how we are help, want to help young adults as they're in that most vital stage of their life, but I want you to also think about if we have this kind of ministry, what does it do for the rest of the church as well? I think, number one, we could all say we'd get excited if we all saw a lot of 18 to 30-year-olds who were just saying, hey, Yes, we want to be in this church, and they're here, and they're ministering, and some of them are in the choir, and some of them are doing this and that and the other, and, you know, we would love that. But not only that, what does this do for a high school, for a youth group? Well, most kids think, I've got youth group till they kick me out. (laughs) I'm going to hold on as long as I can, and then they're going to kick me out, and then, see, kids know the deal. They know that most of their friends who've gone on before them and graduated, they made it through, and then there was just kind of, well, not much there. They know there's something good up there for when they get married and have kids and raising a family and all that, but they, they know there's not a lot right here. And we could all say, oh, well, they're 18, they're adults, they should be with adults. 
Yeah, <laughs> we could say that. They are adults, but they're in a very different stage of life. But if a youth understands, hey, when I get to a senior year, I'm not getting kicked out. I'm going on to the next level. I'm going on to the next ministry where we can do things and I can be a part of a group and do some things that we maybe even couldn't do before. There is a place for me. Because I want our church to have that feel that everyone understands there is a place for me. And so those who are youth, they don't have to think about, I guess it'll be over when I'm a senior. They already know. They can look forward to. I can invest in this church, in my ministry here, because there's going to be something for me. What about on the other side of it? When we get to that place, and again, it's not a young couples class. It is a young adults class. But most of the folks in there, it's young couples with children. That's kind of a majority. Do you think that ministry would be benefited if we've got this one going on? If folks are staying with us all the way through, absolutely, that's going to bless that ministry as well. There's something here that God's put, I believe, before us as a, as a church, as a community. And guess what? When, when I say, do, do we have the numbers? Absolutely. Just starting, uh, put it this way, we, we just had about five or six graduates. Really within the last... Um, Last two to three years, we've had over 10 graduates. This year in our youth group, we've got six seniors. What's going to be there when these six seniors graduate? What's going to be ready for them? Are they going to know that there's something already in place where they can just keep on growing and moving as God's called them to in the church? Are they just left out there kind of trying to figure it out? I believe God's calling us to do this. He's calling us. We won't reach every person, but we don't reach every person of any age group. But we don't reach anybody when we don't reach out. And so I just want to encourage you, <clears throat> fill that out. You can leave it on your pew. You can hand it to me, hand it to Judy, whoever, and pray about this. I'm not going to do the same sermon the next four weeks in a row, but we are going to hit this survey out every week for the next two or three weeks. And we're just going to keep on saying, hey, do you want to join us? Because not everybody's here today. We want to offer that opportunity. Do you want to be a part of this ministry that God has for you? I want to do something a little bit different during our invitation today. If our instrumentalists will come, go ahead and come on. I want to um, not invite you to stand up, but to simply sit. And I want you to think about what place God has for you in ministry. I know we say make your decisions, and lots of times we're singing and we're thinking about words. And I just want us to think about what God has for us. And it may be with our youth. It may be with our children. It may be some other area. But God's called all of us to minister to him. And so as Jackson plays right now, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with the hymn. But to start with, I just want to ask everybody to, to bow your heads close your eyes, and just take a few moments to think about how God would have you be involved in ministry for him, and specifically if he's calling you to be a part of this ministry to younger adults.